All right, here's what happened. I've been trying to do this feature for this podcast where at the end of an episode, I have a quick follow-up with a guest from a previous episode where we revisit what we had talked about. For instance, last week, Pat Castles was on the show because over the summer, we did an episode about all the movies we had seen over the summer, but neither of us had seen Pirates of the Caribbean 4. Now it's on DVD. We've seen it, so last week we caught up. This week, I was going to have Kumail Nanjiani on for a quick follow-up. Kumail is a very, very funny stand-up. He also knows a whole lot about video games. So around the time I had talked to Pat at the end of the summer, whereas Pat and I were looking back at a summer of movies, Kumail and I looked forward at a holiday season of video games, and we talked about the games we were really excited about. And now, some of those games were out. So my plan was to just talk to Kumail for a few minutes about them so we could weigh in with what we actually thought of them, if they lived to expectations. That conversation turned out to be a half hour long, so I thought, what the hell? Let's make it its own episode. This is podcasting. There are no rules. There's absolutely no stakes. Here's that conversation. When we talked, um, it was late August, I think, and there were all these video games coming out, and there was one you were particularly excited about, and there was one I was particularly excited about, and I think they're both out now. Yours was Gears of War 3. What'd you think? Uh, I thought it was really good. I really liked it. I thought the campaign was really solid. You know, the campaign, the only issue I have is that it didn't really do anything new for me from the second one. It just felt like new stages and new levels. Um, Not really that much variety in the monsters, but I really liked that, for me, Horde mode and multiplayer was the reason to get that game, and I thought uh, the Horde mode in that game is fantastic with the new uh, sort of tower defense uh, mechanics in it. Uh, I really, really liked it. I like the Horde mode, too, but here's my issue with it. I have this one small fundamental problem, and if, if they could fix it, I would enjoy it twice as much. The problem is when you play a public horde mode game not with your friends you just have to be like you know there's no options you're just like start the game and it starts you on level one every time and levels one through ten are really boring uh you know they're not really boring but it's like the first few rounds and who wants to be a millionaire you know we're like no one's really gonna you have to really mess up (laughs) yeah it's like what color is orange (laughs) and uh so, so if you don't have people that you know online playing the game then you're kind of stuck in those first few levels because you have to play with five random people and if they drop out, that's it. The game's difficulty does not adjust. So if someone drops out when you're on like wave 20, you pretty much just automatically lose. And as you can imagine, it's nearly impossible to find five random people on Xbox Live who are going to sit around and play all a horde mode because it takes, you got to go to the bathroom before you start playing. It's like two and a half hours. Yeah, and I know my issue with it is that I always get to level 30 and then I have to stop, so I never really get to play it all the way. You're exactly right. That seems like a weird oversight, and I hope it's something that they fix with uh, an update or something or a patch because it's crazy that you have to start over at level 1. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you have to stop. By the time you get to level 30, you're already a couple of hours in, you know? But that said, when I am playing the game, I do really enjoy it, particularly horror mode. The tower defense adds, you know, just a little bit of depth to it. Single player, I thought a little too much lambent. I don't love the lambent. No, I love killing people and seeing blood. I don't want them to explode. I want I want to chainsaw them and I want to see their arms and legs like separate from their body. It's not as satisfying when you're killing something that blows up, you know? It seemed like the main difference in single player, 
And not to brag, I feel bad because I, I told you I felt bad when this was happening, but I had the game a little early, so I didn't know anyone that was online playing it. It felt like the main difference for the campaign mode was that it was really geared towards playing with people now. You know, and I skipped that because I was playing the game early, so I, I wasn't doing that with other people. Uh, but it seemed like in the other games you could maybe do it, but in this one it was pretty much all five people at all times were all together. And it was five instead of yeah. four, right? No, it was four, I believe. I think it is four in the campaign. The last one, you could only do two. I don't think you could do four in the last game. It was just two. And yeah, and my other problem with it was that if you play the campaign and it's just you or you and a friend, then the computer is so good that by the time you sort of get your ammo and stuff, they've killed half the bad guys. And I, you know, I would go through hours without really dying because they were so good at killing the bad guys and at reviving you. So for me, the challenge really wasn't there and then I sort of went played at a higher difficulty level and still up until the last boss I didn't really ever feel like I had to uh, uh I was really challenged or anything like that Gears has always been a game though where uh you have to play it on hard to make it kind of interesting difficulty wise don't you think yeah, to like really use the cover mechanics and stuff. Otherwise, you don't really have to use cover. You have to. I mean, that's sort of. I don't know why these games are getting so easy now. Uh, I really felt it playing Gears though on normal mode. It's it's not even. It doesn't even feel like you're playing Gears. It just feels like a shooter. You never have to cover or, or anything. But uh, my other issue with it with the campaign was the story. I talked about this a little bit on my podcast. I felt like there were. Can we do spoilers or no? All right, quick spoiler alert drop-in. If you have not played Gears of War 3 yet and you care about the plot of it, you should skip ahead to about 11 minutes in this show. And I'll give you a second to do that. Hope everyone's having fun. All right, back to Kumail. <laughs> I, I feel like they were setting up this thing where the locust sort of you realize they're not as bad as you think they are. Because, yes. you know, the queen had sort of contact, contacted Adam... Phoenix, uh, Marcus Phoenix's dad to help, and he'd sort of known about it, and it sort of like makes them sympathetic creatures, and then doesn't really do anything with it. You still have to kill them all. You still basically commit genocide at the end of the game. I know, and he shivs her, and he's like, that's for Dom. Yeah, and she was saying something interesting, like she was making good points, and I really wanted her to keep talking, and I thought, oh, this is a neat twist, you realize, but we're the ones who've been going down there, and we're the ones who've, who've been like... Uh, you know, going down there for emulsion, we're the ones who invaded their home, and they're just sort of fighting back. So they sort of hint at it, and then at the end, all that complexity goes away, and when they have the big celebration at the end, I was kind of like, I don't know if the right guys won. Like, I think we're the douchebags here. I played through the game watching the cutscenes, which is something I did, because the last time we talked, um, and when I was listening to your podcast, you guys were talking about that big scene in Gears of War 2 with Dom. Uh, I think we talked about it briefly uh, if not on the show, then online. And the scene with Dom, where I guess we're talking about the spoilers now, where Dom dies, I thought was batshit crazy. And I respected him for it. I don't think it totally worked for me. But I love that they tried to do this like really artful, slow scene in the middle of what is one of like the loudest, bloodiest games. Well, also, you do remember the coal train scene that happens in the beginning when he visits oh, his old football that was stadium? crazy. Yeah, it's like that Super Nintendo Tiny Toons game where there's all of a sudden there's a football level. <laughs> That's exactly right. It was a football level. And I didn't really buy that because to me, Coltrane wasn't like a fully fleshed out character. He's sort of a weird stereotype, but then they try to give him his big moment where we're supposed to really feel for him, and I didn't really buy it. 
Yeah, but at least that was supposed. To, that was kind of like a silly offshoot thing. The Dom moment was really cinematic, and I think you were supposed to. It was supposed to really, you know, grab your attention and do something different. Again, I don't think it totally worked for me, but I think they did something different. That I thought that was uh, a bold choice. Yeah, I was a little affected by it. You know, I really liked the character of Dom. Out of all of them, I thought he was the most sympathetic. I mean, he's you know his. He's had his wife died and his kids died. He's had it pretty rough. And to me, Marcus Phoenix is just kind of like a douchebag dude, you know. Uh, I don't really relate to him. So it's affected me a little bit because I like Dom. Like, I mean, Baird and Coltrane and all these guys, like, you wouldn't want to hang out with these guys at a bar, you know. I felt like they used them more in this game, whereas the other games were Marcus plus friends. Here, uh, everyone got a little Everyone got a little time in the spotlight. And... No one was good or anything, but they were seven one-dimensional characters instead of one one-dimensional character. <laughs> exactly. Everyone got to have like a little bit of a stupid arc where they're like, oh, we hate each other. Actually, we love each other. Uh, they all got to have like a little moment, you know, which I thought was cool that they tried that. And I understand it's hard to do like characterization in video games since uh, you just don't have that much time for cutscenes and stuff. That's um, true. I, I remember Baird as the wisecracking one. I can remember their names, which is a lot more than I can say for most video games. But still, to me, the most emotional moment was after I beat the game. I unlocked some random shotgun skin for multiplayer because I had beaten Gears of War 1, 2, and 3. And the game had kind of recognized that I had been with him the whole trilogy. And you get a shotgun skin for it. And it felt really satisfying because it was, it, was, it was an unlock five years in the making, you know? <laughs> yeah, and then you feel like you really did something. I thought it was. It's, it's pretty satisfying. Like it, it does bring the story to a close. Yeah, I like how they bring it to a close, definitely. Because like, in video games, you know you know Mario and Zelda, like you know they're just going to keep going forever. They pretty much closed the book on Gears of War, and I'm sure they'll make spin-offs or some sort of other take on the universe, but they closed the book on the uh, Marcus Phoenix story for sure. Or yeah, and I it think would appear so like, anyway. Yeah, I mean, maybe they'll do prequels or, or something. Like it's just maybe Marcus Phoenix. Phoenix I, it's too big not to bring back, know. but like it, it is closing a chapter in a way you, you would not see in a Mario game or in something like that. Well, even like something like Halo, I think is so guilty of that. Halo has been, I think the Halo games are wonderful, but they've been so bad at bringing closure to the story. Like, the second one ends on a horrible cliffhanger. And and it feels like with that, I still, there's a lot of questions to be answered and a lot of bad guys to defeat. And I just have never felt a sense of closure after being a Halo game. Um, Gears of War 3 definitely had that closure. It was, it was sort of a satisfying ending, even if I didn't agree with the exact tone of how it ended, at least it ended, you know. Definitely. Let's talk about the game I'm excited about because I literally can't go a conversation without talking about it right now. Arkham City, holy fucking shit, this video game is out of control. What do you think? I think, I mean, I don't want to use hyperbole, but to me, honestly, and I'm, I haven't beaten the game, so this is just the impression of somebody who's okay. probably about seven hours in, uh... I think it's one of the best games ever it's made. It's one of like, the best games ever. I know. Right up, right now, it's up there with like Bioshock for me. Like it's, I think it's that level of quality, and it's just a classy game. And God, it's you know, so my favorite good. part is that it has to. It uses all the different aspects of Batman, and mm-hmm. only Batman could be the protagonist of this game. Like a lot of games you play, they just graft in a superhero, but here they use his stealth, they use his fighting, they use his detective skills. Only Batman could have this game, uh, which I think is a 
really wonderful aspect of it. So, I, mentor, so much it, of it is so natural because it's Batman. Like, if there was another game and they kept giving me gadgets, I'd be like, all right, I get it already, I get it. But, you know, because it's smoke pellets, because it's grappling guns, it's all stuff that you expect to see when you see Batman. Exactly. It's all, it's exactly Batman. When you play it, you feel like Batman and the little things as you play. That's you know, what you're, everyone's uh, saying about it. When you're, pl- I feel like I'm performing when I'm playing the game. Like, I'm making a Batman movie as I watch it because... Uh, when you every, every situation, the combat, the detective, the stealth, everything you have to kind of size up the room and, you know, think about the best way to approach it. Yeah, if there's like three guys with guns, Batman's going to die unless he like strategizes and uses stealth. I mean, it, it, it does it so well. The stakes are always so high. Like you go into a room and there's eight guys with guns and you sort of have to map it out. Like, okay, I can take this guy and no one sees him. And then I use the smoke here. Then I use the sonic batarang to draw him here. It just, it's really, really smart. It makes you think a lot. And, and just at its most basic, I think the fighting, I think it's the best. Uh, hand-to-hand combat engine I've ever played. I, Abs- I just it's feel clearly. Like- I don't even... It, it seems... It makes everything else feel like Final Fight. You know? It's like, basically, in games where you're fighting five people at once, there was Final Fight and Ninja Turtles, the arcade game, and then 10 to 20 years of games, and now this, I think, is the first significant improvement since then. Yeah, because even if you play God of War, like, I love the God of War games, but they are still very similar to Final Fight, where it's just button matching. Here... I feel like I'm actually fighting. Like, you could fight 30 guys and beat them, and it feels like you actually beat 30 guys. I mean, you're comboing, you're jumping around, and, I, you know, with Arkham Asylum, I got sort of obsessed with the challenges, trying to get the high combos, and uh, it, I'm back to that. Like, oh I've, I've only gotten up to 40-hit combos right now, but in the last one, I used to do, like, 100-hit combos. Oh, and I can't wow, really? I can do, like, 20 or 30, and that's kind of where I top out. But I, get, I got obsessed with it, and I played one of the challenges the other day and I could feel myself slipping into it and I had to stop. I'm going to beat the campaign and then I'm going to go to the challenges because I know I'm going to be pissed off when I beat oh, this God. game. Like, so I just want to play it. I know. I beat the game. And also, I, let's talk about Catwoman for a second. They're like, oh yeah, this would also be a good game. It's, it's just a side thing here. Um, the Catwoman stuff, it's her own character and it's just as fun as the Batman stuff in, in a slightly different way. Like her stealth plays differently than Batman stealth. Uh, but it totally fits the character. Yeah, the mechanics are slightly different. Her story fills out the story more. Um, I haven't, I didn't get it from uh, Best Buy, so I don't have the Batman. I, I don't have the Robin stuff. But uh, oh, is I'm the Robin stuff upset. out yet? I thought I think they're not releasing it till the end of November or something. And is that its own like mission? God, I don't know. To be honest, like ethically, I'm a little. You know, uh, I'm I'm a little concerned about the Catwoman thing because I'm not a huge fan. The the way this works is that uh, if you buy the game new, you get a code to play as Catwoman, which is you know maybe ten to fifteen percent of the game. It, you're missing something if you're not playing this. But then if you lend it to your friend or they buy it used or whatever, you have to rebuy a code if you want the Catwoman part of the game, which is sort of a shady way of getting around. You know, lending your games out. And selling games used, which is a right I believe you have when you purchase the game. But God fucking damn it, if those Catwoman sections aren't awesome, I'd pay twenty bucks for more of them. Yeah, I I feel like you know they've been trying to find new ways to sort of curb the uh, used games market, and uh, you know a lot of online games won't let you play online unless you um, unless you pay ten bucks or whatever. EA has started doing that, and and now they sort of figured out a way to do it on single-player games, like predominantly single-player games, and uh, it does it does suck, but, you know, GameStop with its used games is now going to be giving away Catwoman codes, which, 
you know, usually I think GameStop has some pretty shady practices, but this is, and you know, I know they're do, why they're doing it. It sort of comes from a slightly cynical place. They want people to buy the used games there because they have a huge markup. You know, they buy these games for like 20 bucks and sell them for 50. So, you know, at least you can go and buy it there. But it's a trend that's happening, and I don't think it's going to be reversed. I think everybody's going to start implementing this. All that said, for Arkham City, put your ethics aside. you got to be playing this game. you got to be playing it with Catwoman. It's unbelievable. I think you're right. I think it's one of the best games ever, certainly in its category. You know, when you, I think when you compare it to other, you know, you could talk about things like Tetris or Mario. But when you compare it to other third-person action games, it, it destroys everything in every capacity, on every level, I think. And it's so smart. The story's engaging. You know, actually, I've never done this. I started playing the game. I actually went and bought the Arkham City graphic novel that's a prequel to this mm-hmm. game. Uh, and it's pretty good. It's actually pretty good. It sets up the game well. It's not just like a cynical cash grab thing. It's got, you know, really good art. The story is really good. It fills in sort of uh, some of the stuff that you don't know. And, uh, I thought it was really, really good. So I would even suggest going and getting that. You know, not only is it a fun game, if they made it a random character, it'd be a fun game. But the way it uses Batman is great. I think their depiction of the Riddler and the way they use the Riddler is probably the best way the character's ever been used because he lends himself so nicely to video games. Yeah, and in this one, I like that they sort of integrated it into the storyline a bit more where, you know, he's got his hostages and you have to rescue the hostages and stuff like that. Uh, I thought it sort of raised the stakes a little bit, whereas in the last one, it felt sort of video gamey that, you know, you're collecting these things to, to get achievements or get to 100%. Here, it feels a little more natural to me. There was just a Riddler hostage that I rescued, and I was stuck on it for 10 or 15 minutes. I was totally frustrated by it. And then I realized he was outsmarting me, and then I realized what I had to do to outsmart him. And this is like one of the random Riddler challenges to the side. Most games don't get that in the main mission, you know? And they actually, in the comic book, they actually set up why the Riddler is doing the things he's doing. Like, it's actually kind of cool. Like, they show the Riddler, like, sort of just setting up these uh, riddles and puzzles and things like that. It's my highest recommendation. It's the, it's the greatest game. Any, any, anything else you're playing? I've been playing, uh, you know, I, I, I beat Eco or Ico, however you Oh, what'd it. you think? What'd you think? I loved it. I thought it was great. Uh, really, really wonderful, really affecting. The only issue I had with that game was it's old, so the mechanics are a little old. The collision detection is a little weak. Sometimes I had to do things three, four times just to sort of get, to get the game to realize it. Um, just I thought the controls weren't that tight. But as a game and as an experience, uh, I really, really liked it. Really liked it. And that world, I like that it was a real world, like very fully fleshed out. But they don't sit down and tell you the history of it. They just kind of throw you into this real world where the rules are slightly different and there's a specific kind of magic and stuff. But they don't spoon feed you the, the, the backstory. They just kind of throw you in and it, and it felt very very full and very legitimate, and then I started playing uh, Shadow of the Colossus right after that, uh, which is what I'm playing right now as well, and that game is also really, really good. It's great to hear you enjoying these games so much, um, you know, years after they came out, and you're right, and I remember even at the time in Eco, beating up those Shadow Monsters is really repetitive and boring, but it's totally worth struggling through for, uh, you know, that, what that game does, I think, in both those games, is they really know how to use the video game as a medium. It's not like a movie. It's not like a comic book or something. They tell the story using video gaminess 
And, uh, you know, it's enough, and it gets this it gets its very unique aesthetic across. Yeah, because a lot of these games, I feel like there's such a disconnect between the gameplay and the story. You know, like something like Dead Space, to me, is a good example of that, where in the first Dead Space, you use this miner, and you're terrified. Suddenly, there's fucking monster zombie tentacle things. But then when the gameplay starts, you're right in the beginning, you're a badass. You've got these awesome weapons, and you're sort of kicking ass. And But Eco did a good job of making you feel weak, making you feel like you're in this, this situation where you were, like, totally in over your head. And to me, the gameplay and the story sort of fed into each other really well. And the same thing with Batman. Where I was going to say the same thing with Batman, yeah. They, 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 they work so well together. They feed into each other, and they make each other stronger. And I think, honestly... Uh, I was playing Shadow of the Colossus and I loved it, and then I got Arkham City, and I haven't really played it <laughs> since then. It's a wonderful game, but playing Batman, uh, it just sort of raises the bar of all video games. It's so, to me, it is like something like Dark Knight, you know, where it's an amazing movie and it's got Batman in it. And that's how I feel about Arkham City, too. Yeah, someone asked me if Arkham City, they heard Arkham City compared to Dark Knight as a sequel. And I said that, it, that I, w- I didn't compare them. I wasn't like, if you like Dark Knight, you'll like Arkham City. But they both, I think, raised the bar. The Dark Knight is a movie and Arkham City is a video game. And the story for uh, Arkham City, as good as it is, um, and I think it's great, it's not, it's not as good as The Dark Knight. Let's, let's, be, let's be clear about that. It's not that good. It's not Christopher Nolan good yet, but it's above what has been done before. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, uh, I really like the feel of sort of going to visit all these different superheroes, and just the structure of it is not something... I mean, that would be a terrible movie if, like, you have to go get Mr. Freeze. Oh, no, Mr. Freeze is kidnapped by Penguin. You have to go get Penguin. Oh, no, but his thing is locked, so you have to go kill all these satellites. That's, that would be a terrible movie. But I think as a game, it works well, and it is a lot of fetch quests. It does feel a little bit like to get to A, you have to get B. To get B, you have to get C. Like, there's all these sort of video game barriers. Yeah, the first Arkham's a straight-up Metroid game, you know, where it's like, you need the ice pick to get into this mine shaft. Exactly, exactly. But I like traversing the, the, the Gotham City, or Arkham City, so much. I mean, you, you sort of flying around and gliding around and using all the... Uh, the bad equipment. It just feels so good. Have you found, by the way, have you found this one alley where you uh, pay respect? Do you know what I'm talking about? I, I heard about it. I know what you're talking about, but I haven't found it. Well, you haven't? I hadn't heard anything about it, and I just found it. I was like, what is this? And it's just like a hidden Easter egg thing that doesn't really do anything. I think you might unlock an achievement, but it's just like a really affecting little Easter egg that you find, and it just fleshes out the city more. It felt like you know what was missing to me in the last one? Batman, as a character, is so tied to Gotham. And he, even in the movies, like, uh, the welfare of Gotham, it's so important to him, such a big part of who he is and why he does what he does. I didn't get that sense in Arkham Asylum, because you're sort of in the asylum the whole time. But playing Arkham City, I get, like, Gotham City is a character in the game. You get a good sense of what it's like, and you see what's at stake, you know? I want to go back to something you were saying before about how Arkham City would make a bad movie. I think The Dark Knight, the movie, would make a terrible video game. Obviously, The Dark Knight's amazing, but if there was a video game where you were watching the passengers in the boats decide, you know, it, you need different things. And it seems like right now the Batman movie franchise and the Batman video game franchise are really firing on all cylinders. And I think it's a big part of it is that it, when Arkham Asylum came out, it was not tied to a movie or anything, because that's a big problem that superhero video games have. You know, I think there was a Thor video game, there was a Green Lantern video game. Uh, all these games are tied to movie releases, which makes their uh, deadline so sharp. With this game, they could just sort of 
work on it until it was good, and they didn't have to get it out by a specific day. So, and I think that's part of the reason why these games are so good. They approach, approach them as real video games as opposed to tie-ins to you know movies that are coming out or something like that. And I think there was supposed to be a Dark Knight game, and it was canceled, and people were mad at the time. They were like, how could you not be making a video game out of this movie? But whatever happened behind the scenes, I think it all worked, you know, God had a plan here. He was leading us to Arkham Asylum. <laughs> yes, Arkham City makes me believe in God again. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good video game. People should pick it up. And you know what? I I know you don't like the Uncharted games, but Uncharted 3 looks really, really amazing to me. And, uh, the I was, was going to bring it up. The, the reviews have been astounding. Like Arkham City and Uncharted 3 reviews are like pretty comparable. It got a couple of like 100%. It's hard. I haven't played Uncharted 3 yet. I have not played Uncharted 3 yet. As we talked about last time I was on the phone with you, I think I'm the only person in the world who thinks Uncharted 2 is way overrated. But it seems to me impossible, impossible that Uncharted 3 is anywhere near as good as Arkham. Because in Arkham, you know, those Batman games, I, I understand that playing Uncharted's epic and, you know, it's very cinematic. But so is the Batman game. It's not quite the same. But in the Batman game, if you break out the actual gameplay mechanics, like the fight and these stealth sections, and you put that in the, you know, break those down into, like we were talking about, those challenge modes, that's still fun. That's, that could be its own game, and it would be a great game. Whereas Uncharted, if you took just the shooting segments of it, it'd be terrible. No one plays Uncharted 3 multiplayer. I think you're right. I mean, the amazing thing about Batman is that everything it does, it does perfectly. You know, the, the fighting is amazing. The stealth is amazing. The puzzles are amazing. Every single aspect is amazing. And in that way, it's like the opposite of something like GTA 4, which does a lot of things. None of them really that well, but to me, the experience really sort of uh, makes up for the lack of perfection in the game mechanics. And that's how I feel about Uncharted as well. The, the shooting is not that tight, it's not perfect, but I think the epicness of it and the experience of it, similar to something like ICO, you know, I mean, they're very different games, but I was, I'm willing to forgive the little imperfections just because I like the uh, experience so much. But you're right, Dark, I mean, uh, Arkham City does everything perfectly, and it's kind of remarkable. I, I don't know if Uncharted 3 will be better, but... Uh, I can't really right now imagine a game much better than Arkham City. That's what I'm saying. And from what I understand, they haven't really... Uncharted 3 is a lot like Uncharted 2. I'm sure it's bigger and better, but the combat, and this, this, it's more or less the same. You know, they haven't, say, completely rethought it and done something completely new like Arkham City. So it's hard to imagine the game's going to be as good. I guess I, I, I shouldn't declare it until I've played it, but it seems impossible. Well, I feel like Uncharted 2 has less places to evolve to. Something like, you know, same as something like God of War, where they can refine it, they can make it more epic, but ultimately it's sort of the same game. Whereas with Arkham Asylum, there was clearly a big improvement that they could make, which was set it in the actual city instead of setting it inside a building. You know, it was clearly, they had a clear place to go to make it better. Whereas Uncharted uh, two to three does not really have that obvious leap. Yeah. Kumail, thank you so much for talking video games with me tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm going to go back to playing <laughs> Arkham City now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was doing immediately before you called. Yeah, I'm actually like working right now, so I'm in my trailer, but I bought, I, I have a TV in the trailer, 
and I have an Xbox, but I'm not playing Batman on it because I want to play Batman in my house, and I don't want to be interrupted when oh, I'm playing yeah, it. Oh, totally. Like, you, you know? don't want to watch a movie you're really excited about on an airplane. No, exactly, and that's what this is. So I'm uh, I'm going to play some older games and stuff, and I'll play basketball. But Oh, by the way, NBA 2K12 is really, really good as well. Oh, uh, that's, uh, that's not even out of my league. You might as well tell me I should actually play basketball. <laughs> what, are you, what are you shooting right now? Oh, uh, Franklin and Bash, we started doing season two. That's great. Yeah, I'm really excited. I'm really excited. It'll be fun. Does Mark Paul Gossler play video games? No, but Breckin Meyer does. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, well, last last year we played basketball all the time, the uh, NBA 2K11. So on set we played that game all the time. So I think we'll probably get into NBA 2K12 soon. Well, thanks again so much for doing this, Kamel. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Kamel for staying on the phone way longer than I told him he would have to. If you like listening to Kamel talk about video games, and I know I do, check out his podcast, The Indoor Kids. He co-hosts it with his wife, Emily. It's so funny, so insightful. They really know what they're talking about. Thanks again, Kumail. Hard to believe this is just a bonus episode. Still a, quote, regular, a normal episode of the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show coming Tuesday. The guest is going to be Amir Blumenfeld. Really excited about that one. You will know about it and when it's out if you follow me on Twitter. That's at Jeff Rubin Show. On my Facebook page, that is... I don't know where that is. Just go to Facebook and type in Jeff Rubin. You'll figure it out. And I have a Tumblr blog at jeffrubin.com. And what's the other thing? Oh, YouTube. You can subscribe to my YouTube account at youtube.com slash jeffrubin. Jeff Rubin. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. Uh, I'll be back Tuesday.